This episode is an interview with former Exeter resident Gary Bardoni. Even though it's long, we decided not to break it up. It's a story that starts out pretty predictably and then takes a hard turn. Hello? Hello? Hi, is this Gary? Yes, it is. So uh, I wanted to go through with you uh, about uh, what happened with a burglary of your home in Exeter. I have with me a newspaper article that was published on December 24th of 1975, and the article starts out by saying, Gary Bardoni of 209 South Belmont reported that an AMFM stereo and a 44 caliber musket rifle were taken from the living room of his home on December 18th. The missing articles were valued at $445. So when I'm looking through that newspaper article, I can see that we're talking about this happening on Thursday December 18th of 1975, and because the Exeter Sun was a weekly paper, it was published on Wednesdays. So the story didn't actually run until December 24th of 1975. Yeah, that's right. So your name is there in in the article, along with your street address, 209 South Belmont. Uh, That's who you are. That's who we're talking to, correct? So the the other information is that short list of items that were taken, a stereo and a forty four caliber musket rifle. Before we get into some of the details about uh, those uh, items, I want to talk very specifically about what happened that night. And if I'm looking at the newspaper article and remembering everything correctly, you are saying that this burglary happened in the early evening hours uh, that Thursday. So what do you remember about that evening before the burglary happened, about uh, perhaps uh, your day at work and coming home and where you were going that night? Um, Sure. Uh, I got off work, uh, which was around 5, 5.30ish, and uh, drove home. I worked there in Exeter at Lonnie's Auto Parts, and... uh, Spoke with the wife, and we decided to uh, run into uh, Visalia over a quick trip to say hi to the family and visit with them for just a little bit. And uh, we got home as about nine o'clock, nine-ish. Okay. You know, not straight up nine, but sure, nine-ish. About what time was it that you were left? So about how long were you away from your home? Uh, three hours anyway. Okay. Yeah. So you would have left around 6 o'clock at night? Yeah. Okay. So when you arrived home, what was the first sign that something wasn't right when you got there? Uh, when I got there, uh, opened the garage door, drove in, and... Uh, turned the car off, and I just looked up at the door, and I noticed that the door wasn't closed. It was just left open. It was, it just wasn't closed. It wasn't open all the way. It was just, you know, it had closed partway and didn't uh, lock or anything. Okay. It, It was left open. And were you pretty good about locking all of the doors when you would go out and locking the doors and windows uh, so that this was this was unusual for you to find that door open? 
Yes. Okay. Yes, I've always locked the doors. Uh, something my parents. Uh, okay. Uh, told us to do when we were young and living on uh, on the ranch there. Always sure. Always locked doors, closed the windows, so on and so forth. Uh, what did you do next? Did you go in the house? Um, I told the wife to uh, stay in the car. Yeah. And. Uh, just follow my lead uh, as to like uh, I motion to her, you know, get out of here. Then just back yeah. the car out and get out of there. Were you concerned at that point that the person could still be in the house? That was my concern. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so you've gone uh, away from the car. You walked into the door. Uh, did you did you look around at that point? Yes, I uh, opened the door and uh, yelled out uh, something like, uh, hey, is anybody here? Something along that line. And uh, there's a light switch uh, by the garage door that Mm -hmm. put a light over the kitchen table. So I turned that on. We only left a couple of small lights on. Sure. Uh, and but uh, so I turned that light on and then went into uh, the kitchen, which is right there. The kitchen and the yes. garage are just right there. And I turned the kitchen lights on, looked around. Okay, okay. And then I moved into the living room and uh, I had uh, lamps uh, there, no overhead lighting. So I turned the lamps on and was saying uh, every so often, is anybody here? Yeah. You know, and then I went down the hallway and then into all three uh, bedrooms and the bathroom, and no one was there. All right. And so I looked around and looked around, and I started I noticed the stereo was gone. Okay. Right off. And so as I was going back out into the garage uh, to tell my wife what's going on, uh, I noticed that our Mr. Coffee uh, uh, coffee pot, electric coffee pot, yeah. it was gone. And uh, oh, a couple of other little small appliances, a mixer. Okay. Or I should say a blender and uh, a couple of articles of that nature. And so I went up uh, to the garage and told the wife to bring uh, her and my son inside. You know, come on inside. Uh, We've been uh, robbed. And so came inside and the wife uh, put uh, her son to uh, bed. Because uh, by then it's about nine thirty. Yeah, and uh, and he was a little cranky and tired, and he went right to sleep. And so we went looking around all over. Uh, my wife didn't have a lot of jewelry, and uh, <clears throat> she kept it in a small box uh, and the nightstand. And. Uh, it was strange. It was still there. But okay. of course, like I said, you didn't have much. It wasn't real valuable. Sure. Or 
more more costume uh, jewelry than anything, and uh, looked all over, and then uh, looked in my son's uh, room and no nothing out of place there. It was just his toys and whatnot, and uh, looked throughout the bathroom and nothing missing in there. Okay. Was in the spare room. Uh, yes. I see. It was in the spare room, and that's why I had put it together. Uh, it was in there, and uh, had a few little small tools and whatnot. But okay. They were all individually laid out, but they didn't take any of those. Okay. And just looked around, and it was just uh, had a small little. It was a stereo unit or a small stereo unit with two speakers mm-hmm. and it was a so something that would have been foot. easy to carry it this was something right. that was very small right you could stick the two speakers they were small okay and uh, the stereo it was just a small little stereo and you could tuck it under your arm real sure. easy okay the speakers and the stereo okay and uh Looking and like I said, uh, yep, the blender is gone. Okay, the Mister Coffee is gone. And how did the house otherwise seem to you? Was was anything spilled out? Uh, were the drawers turned out? What um, anything else uh, that seemed uh, unusual uh, to you about the house from the way you remember leaving it? Uh, yeah, the. Uh Dresser drawers were pulled out, but they were shoved back in part way. I see. You know, like, because the way the bedroom was designed, and we had a large bed in there. Okay. To be able to really uh, get around in there. Okay. You'd have to shut it, uh, you know, six inches or so when you had it all the way out. All right. So they were just kind of. So pretty quickly here, you must have then said, well, uh, I better call the police. Exactly. All right. About how long after you got home would you say it was uh, before you uh, before you actually phoned the police? Uh, again, say, oh, between, say, 930 and, uh, and 945. Sure. So you looked around for a bit and, and called about half yeah. an hour later. Okay. All right. Right. Now, your home uh, there on Belmont was uh, in the city limits of the city of Exeter. So uh, so you just called the, 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 the local the city police, the, the Exeter Police Department, correct? That's correct, yeah. Okay, all right. And in the time that uh, you, after you made the call, uh, you're just waiting in the house for the police officers to arrive. Is that right? That's right. Okay. And uh, then... Uh, I walked out to the garage a couple of times, and that's when I noticed the uh, side door on the garage was askew. 
Interesting. Okay. The side door, yeah. uh, did it look like you'd left it open? What what happened there? No. It. Uh, in fact, as I recall, it was still locked. What they did was somehow Jimmy... The uh, uh, from the outside that went outside and took a look. They used uh, like a small screwdriver and fish or something like that, or a real thin, sharp knife, and just kind of just kept prying and prying, and uh, it was uh, scratched up. And so was the uh, striker's plate and the trim board around it. It was. Uh, it was messed up pretty good. Interesting. And so what they did was they came in that way, the, the way I figured they came in that way, because the door, I noticed the mechanism was still locked. Uh-huh. All they did was just push the plunger in just enough to to open the door, and the door uh, swings inward. Yes. And uh, so I figured, oh, they came in this way. And then I went and looked at the door on the, from the garage to the kitchen, and uh, same thing. Same striker thing on, on that on that door as well. That's interesting. Right. Uh, striker plate, and then they used something to jimmy the lock. Uh, okay. Just basically, you know, push the, the, the tongue or the locking mechanism back in. Okay. So you phoned the police uh, at this point, and uh, and then the police officers uh, show up. How long did it take uh, after you made the call to the time that the uh, Exeter PD got to the house? Oh, it wasn't very long at all. I don't think it was more than 10 minutes. Okay. It was it was rather quick. Sure. Uh, and when um, when the Exeter PD got there, uh, how many officers had responded to to the call? Uh, two officers. Okay. The officers that responded. Uh, uh, did you know either of these officers personally? I knew one of them. Uh, I think his name was Richard Matthews. Okay. Or Robert. I don't remember which. I went to high school with him. Oh, I see. And uh, was he like in your same uh, grade or uh, a little no, off? He was, I believe, I think it was a year, maybe two years uh, behind me. Okay. The other officer then. Uh, uh, there, there were two officers. So, so uh, right. There's so officer one Matthews. was Matthews, yeah. right? Like I said, I don't remember. It was, his name was Robert or Richard. Yeah, they, they were, were brothers twins. actually, and both yeah. both were police officers. Yeah. Oh, uh, so, uh, and then the other officer that showed up, who was that? And that was uh, Joseph D'Angelo. Wow. So you've seen yeah. some some recent pictures of of, of Joe D'Angelo in the press. And you recognized uh, the the face uh, of of this Exeter police officer when you were looking at 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 the press. Is that how you put this all together uh, in in the current moment? Uh, yes, I. Uh, there was an article somewhere that yeah. I had uh, read, and it showed uh, a picture of uh, Joseph D'Angelo when he first started with the Exeter Police Department, okay. APD, 
And uh, I looked at him. I said, I know that guy. Oh, my gosh. And it just brought back a whole lot of memories just started coming to me. And I'm going, wow. And then I read the article. And I went, oh, my God. Yes. You've you've seen wow. you've seen what he's charged with doing, yes. Yes, and I was thinking, boy, at that time when that happened, uh, back in '75, uh, I believe it was. I thought, boy, what did I walk into? <laughs> okay, all right. So these two officers show up. Do yeah. you re- do you recall what happened uh, when when the two officers uh, showed up? What's your memory of of what happened as soon as the officers arrived? Uh, they came in, uh, introduced themselves, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, D'Angelo went straight into my house. Okay. And then I stayed out in the garage for a few minutes and uh, was talking to Matthews. And he said, I'm going to go uh, talk to some neighbors or whatnot. And I said, yeah, have at it. All right. Was there was there any reason, any explanation that that Officer D'Angelo needed to be in the house alone? Was that was that made clear to you? No, he okay. just waltzed right on in there, because I, I was talking to Matthews, and he just took it upon himself. He didn't even say, "I'm going to go inside the house and check it out." He never sure. even said that. He All just right. waltzed. Right on in. Um, when when he goes in the house, then uh, did did you see him carry anything in with him? Maybe um, a police evidence camera or a fingerprinting kit, anything like that? No. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so uh, Officer D'Angelo goes in the house, and uh, did you mention that that Officer Matthews went to check with the neighbors? Was that right? That's correct. So okay. he left and went and checked with the neighbors, and I stayed in the garage. Okay. Uh, I thought this let uh, D'Angelo do his thing, whatever his thing is. Yeah. And uh, he, they were there to investigate, as they said. And uh, Matthews came back, and he said, well, I spoke to your neighbor, you know, just right next to you here. And he said uh, that he had heard some noise. Okay. Uh, coming from my house. Around, uh, he said, in my, uh, coming from my garage. And uh, then he said he looked up again and he saw a, a silhouette of a guy running from the corner per se of the garage diagonally across my backyard i didn't have a fence up yet because we uh, just moved in not all that long uh before all this happened right and so he just disappeared into the darkness so the back so. of the residence that faces out towards the alley is that right that's correct yes all right so back to uh, the, the, that original investigation, did the officers try to get any fingerprints inside the house? Well, they didn't uh, bring their kit okay. uh, with them. Uh, and they told me, said, they 
the Angelo had said, and Matthews agreed with him, said, well, we could, you know, take fingerprints, but, you know, it's already been contaminated. I mean, you've used it yourself, and, uh, uh, you know, we might have uh, touched the doorknob. They uh, didn't have gloves on. And uh, they, they said, you know, the chances of getting uh, fingerprints is, you know, pretty, you know, nil to none. Okay. I mean, it's yeah. your house. Of course, their your fingerprints are going to be all over the place anyway. That 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 seems yeah. that seems like an odd thing to say. Well, okay. Right. So uh, coming from the angel, the angel is the one that said that. Interesting. And Matthew's just kind of like, mm, okay, yeah, all right. And just went along with it. So. Uh, the the items that were that were missing. Did they ask you anything for for like the description for the police report? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. And did they tell you anything else, like where they might turn up or if they might turn up? Well, yeah. When uh, we got to talking about it, uh, uh, Officer Matthews and myself, uh, we came to the conclusion that. Uh, the uh, stuff was small stuff. Yes. Uh, easy to carry and uh, real easy to unload. I mean, they could get five bucks for the uh, coffee maker and a blender and then, you know, 20 bucks for the stereo, you know, just a real quick fail. Sure. So they, so they can get their fix for the night or whatever. And as Officer Matthew said, uh, so that stuff's probably already been sold in Farmersville. Mm. And and I agreed with him there. I, I said, yeah, from the looks of it, it's just, you know, small, quick grab items that, you know, you can unload quick. All right. So, uh, so they did stuff. take a, so they did take a report. Yes. Okay. Now, that's what the newspaper must have picked up on because the newspaper says uh, that the missing articles were the total value of everything was around $445. So that's obviously you know a fair amount of money, and, and you're a pretty young guy. Uh, did you have homeowner's insurance? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. And uh, Officer Matthew suggested that uh, I just turn it over to my homeowners. He said, uh, Gary, you know as well as I do, you're not going to get that stuff back. It's right. sold already. I mean, that's just, he says that's what happens uh, in these type of burglaries. Uh, they go for small easy to sell quick stuff and they're out of there and it's just for the moment you know they got to get high just for the moment sure and so he said you're not going to see that stuff again you know that and i said i know yes yeah all right but, you know gotta so, make a report i gotta do something sure you know? sure and you and you so, probably need the report for for the insurance so uh that, right yeah so now um that was kind of what you had seen inside. Did you uh, see either Officer Matthews or Officer D'Angelo do any look around on the outside of the house, perhaps in the backyard? Uh, Matthews. Matthews. Matthews did. Uh, okay. Yeah, Matthews did. Uh, D'Angelo 
stayed mainly in the house. Okay. Uh, and was he alone in the house a, for, for, for that yes, time? Yes, he was alone in the house. I see. Well, no, I take that back. He okay. wasn't alone in the house. Uh, my wife had put the, my uh, our son down. I see. And she had uh, stayed inside the house. Okay. So it was... Uh, and so it was, you know, nice and chilly outside. Sure. So she stayed in with my son. Okay. In the in uh, his bedroom, and uh, she never mentioned anything that he came in there and you know and talked to any great length. Okay. He did, and then you know just chatted. Sure. But he stayed inside the house the whole time. All right. Which now just really, uh, oh, just, I don't know how lucky I was, really. <laughs> right, exactly. Okay. Now, the the newspaper article, going back to that, it mentions the yeah. stereo, and it mentions a musket rifle. Uh, we've gone over yeah. perhaps the blender and the coffee maker. Uh, to your recollection, there wasn't that; those were the items that were that were taken. That's that's everything that you recall uh, from that was taken from the house. Uh, no, there was a small uh, small radio, you know. Okay. Something. All right. Uh, like carry in the palm of your hand. A little bigger than that. Okay. You know, it's something, anything that was small, electrical, they took. Yeah. Now, what about what about this musket rifle? That's not something you hear about uh, every day. Uh, how would you describe this musket rifle? Well, it was a muzzle-loading uh, rifle. Okay. I uh, bought it. Uh, as a kid, uh, you assemble it, and you have to sand the stock down and fit everything just right. And I uh, had a, an interest in those types of guns. They not a real pending sure. deal, but you know it was interesting. And I thought that would be kind of neat to have to you know horse around with. Uh, All right. So you had, you'd put this together some time before. Was it was this gun actually operational? Was this something that that you could yeah. fire, and you had yes, before? Yes, you could. Yes, you could. Wow. And I decided to go with the uh, percussion cap type of uh, firing mechanism rather than the flintlock uh, type. Okay. The flintlock. Uh, is uh, that's more dangerous? Yes. Is, uh, There's a lot of the loose gunpowder, right? A lot of loose gunpowder, and you always have a little tiny pock marks on your face okay. when you fire a a, 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 a flintlock or right. a percussion. It's just a little cap goes over a little nipple, and all the firing is done inside the chamber. So, so this musket rifle, this was a, a mail-order kit and uh, build it yourself, and you put it together uh, sometime before then. D to your recollection, did did the did the musket rifle have a serial number on it? Uh, any way to trace it? Uh, no, because uh, it was just a kit. It was yeah. for uh, uh, basically a hobby uh, type enthusiast. Uh, it was a kit. Is all it was. Nothing sure. special about right. it. I guess that leads to the next question is you weren't really given any hope 
from the officers that night that these things were ever going to turn up again, uh, your, your stolen items. Right. Okay. Just, it's pretty much just a grin and bear it. Were any of these items ever recovered? Did any of them ever show up again? No. Okay. All right. So uh, you did actually have homeowners insurance, and you did put in a claim. Yes. Okay. And then with the deductible I had and whatnot, it really didn't come close to what was stolen. Sure. But it did cover some. Sure. Now, um, altogether. Uh, how long would you say that the two officers were at your house that evening? Oh, it was 45 minutes to an hour, somewhere in that neighborhood. Okay. Did, when they when the two officers left that night, did they take anything uh, or, or did they leave anything with you? Uh, they left me their uh, business cards. I... Uh, kept those for a while and they ended up being tossed sure. because of where I worked at the, uh, the police department was uh, right behind uh, Lonnie's Auto Parts All right. he just walked across the alley there and there you were in the police department interesting okay. I, I knew the, I knew the uh, a lot of the officers uh, in, in town there small town and sure. whatnot, and uh, a lot of the guys, uh, officers, I should say, I've known over the years growing up and whatnot, and the uh, police chief, I knew, knew him, it was more of an acquaintance type thing. Sure. Uh, he would uh, come over to the parts store and have a cup of coffee and talk to uh, Lonnie or to Jerry Dutch, the co-owner. Okay. And uh, and the police chief at that time that we're talking about Henry Fry is that correct? That's correct. Okay. That's correct. All right. And uh, whenever he'd see me on the street, he would say, uh, "Hi, Gary." Great. So I mean, it was it was an acquaintance, but he knew me. Knew me, you know, well enough about my first name and sure. everything. I, I called him uh, uh, Chief Henry, and he said, "I'll oh, just call me Hank." Nice, small you town. Know, Henry, Hank. Yeah, yeah, small yep. town. Yeah, and uh, real nice guy. Okay. Yeah, you know, all business, but I mean, he's just a real, real nice person. Great. So. On the evening of the burglary, after they're they're getting ready to go, uh, you're you're closing things up, and at that point, uh, you, are, were you expecting to hear anything more from Exeter PD at that point? Uh, no, because the way we left it was, uh, as I had mentioned before, was that uh, you're not going to see that stuff again. Yeah, right. I know. You got homeowners. Yeah, I'll turn it over to them, and also the fact. I knew that uh, the police department wasn't going to drop everything and go try and chase down a, a blender, a coffee maker, a stereo, and a sure. musket loader. Yeah. You know. After that, though, you did, in fact, hear from Officer D'Angelo again, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. He came back. It was, uh, don't really recall how long it was. And there again, it was late at night. Well, not late. It was 9 o'clock, around 9 o'clock. All right. Knocked on the door. 
And uh, I answered the door, and lo and behold, there's uh, D'Angelo there, but he wasn't in uniform. And he was, uh, I recall, dressed in a dark blue, kind of a navy blue, uh, cheap J.C. Penny suit. Okay. And uh, he said he was there to uh, follow up on uh, the investigation of uh, the burglary. And I said, oh, okay. So he came in and uh, trying to think my wife was sitting down on the couch. Yes. And we were, had been watching TV, and uh, where the TV was located at was right where I was standing and D'Angelo was standing. Okay. So he said, I just need to ask you a few questions. I said, oh, okay. So he said, if you'll have a seat. So I sat down on the couch by my wife, and... Uh, he said that he was doing a follow-up on the uh, burglary. All right. I need to ask you some questions. I said, sure. And he, uh, he said, uh, well, he says, we think that it was somebody you know who broke into your house. And I said, what? I said, I don't know or hang around any riffraff like that. Like, sure. I mean, I people I hang around with because, you know, I work in a park store there in town. Everybody knows me. Uh, you know, I, I hang around decent people. Mm-hmm. as well, we, th- we think it's uh, somebody you know. It's either that or it was you. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What are you talking about? Yeah. I said, and who is this we that you keep bringing up? Good question. And he said, well, it's not really we, it's me. You know, I'm a detective. And he started in on that. And he said, this is what I think happened. And I said, I said, I don't really care what you think. And he said, well, I need to uh, talk to you and your wife separate. So I want your wife to go into the uh, back bedroom, the master bedroom, and you stay here, and I'll question you first, and then I'll go in there. And I said, oh, no, uh, no, 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 we're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. And then um, he came forward towards me a little bit more and started his uh, trying to act like uh, he was a detective, a police officer. You know, you will do what I say. Okay. And I said, well, uh, no, I said, you're not a detective. You're just a patrol cop. So unless you're here to write me a ticket for speeding or running a red light or something, I suggest that you leave. And he says, nope, I am the police here. 
you go to the back bedroom. And I turned to my wife and I said, you stay right there. You stay right there. And he got in between me and my wife and was uh, being very bossy-like. And it's just running through my mind. I said, wait a minute, this isn't right. Something wrong here. Yes. Well, here it is around 9 o'clock at night. He's a police officer, and he's now he's calling himself a detective, and he's coming up with this foolish idea. Uh, something's wrong. Something's not right. Okay. So I got in between him and the hallway, and I had my wife go down to the end of the hallway to my son's room, pick him up, and she brought him into the uh, living room. Okay. I, yeah, it was, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like what was going on. Something was not right. You could feel it in the air. Yes. Yeah, you could almost smell it. And he just kept pushing the fact that he wanted my wife to go down to the spare, uh, to the master bedroom, and I stay here. And he's going to question me first. Uh, I said, no, you're not. Okay. No, it's not going to happen. He knew where the bathrooms were. He knew where the master uh, bedroom was at. And he knew where my son's bedroom was at. And he knew where our spare bedroom was at. Uh, Officer D'Angelo is basically showing up at your house. He's telling you that he's there pretty much with the accusation that uh, he has accused you of of uh, committing uh, this burglary yourself and perhaps uh, trying to commit insurance fraud uh, by by turning this in as, as some kind of false claim. He's telling you that essentially that he's investigating you. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. All right. Correct. Yep. Using the term we, yeah. we think, we yeah. think, and then I asked him, I said, who is this we yeah. you keep referring to? And he says, well, me, I do. Wow. That's what I think. All right. And I said, well, you're thinking wrong, mister. <laughs> well, all right, yes. Uh, now, you didn't you didn't feel like things were right uh, with, with everything. And how would you describe his overall demeanor maybe his facial expressions uh this didn't this doesn't sound calm well when he first uh when i first answered the door and he was standing there yeah and i said oh officer d'angelo and he was uh somewhat his normal casual self whatever that is yes and he uh, was able to gain entrance, you know, you know, by doing so. Sure. I mean, if he had started uh, ranting and raving right at the doorstep, the door would have been slammed, and I would have called the police, you know. And, but he was uh, somewhat casual, and then 
he started off that way and until he got to the point where he was accusing me and then told my wife to uh, go to the master bedroom down the hall. And in fact, he had taken like a step back and uh, with his left arm uh, kind of pointed, motioned yeah. to go down the hallway to the master bedroom. Wow. And that I told that's when I told my wife I said, Nope, you stay right there. Yeah. Stay right there. You're not going anywhere. And making it and, very clear to you that, that he was trying to separate the two of you and, and wanted uh, your wife then to go to the master bedroom to, to be questioned by him there. Yes, uh, and that's when he uh, went from somewhat uh, his cordial demeanor. Yes. He, uh, when I said that, no, absolutely not, that, you know, hey, that's not going to happen. Then the expression of his face just turned completely different, and his voice got a little louder, and his eyes were started like kind of like getting upset, looking. Okay. Because I wasn't following orders or whatever. I was. Getting in his way, yes. Of what uh, his purpose uh, really was, I don't know. But yes, his voice had gone up uh, quite a few octaves, and uh, his facial expression had changed, and his uh, eyes. And then he kept on with uh, saying, uh, "You go to the master bedroom." And I said, no, you stay there. Stay right where you're at. And the more I said no, the um, more upset he got. In fact, uh, his mouth, he would, he started like, almost like a pucker. He was like, just uh, straining to keep his mouth quiet or whatever. He just biting his tongue or whatever. He just, oh, it was upsetting him because yes. I was not following his commands. Yes. And I wasn't about to because the longer he stayed, the more it seemed that something is not right here. This is not, you don't do this. Police officers don't do this this way. Yes. And especially 9 o'clock or so at night. They just, they just don't. Correct. You know, very, I mean, very correct. It's, uh, I mean, make a follow-up call. I mean, no, they do it at more at my convenience and their convenience. Well, I, I think the, the thing that a lot of people must be asking themselves when they hear this is how in the world did you get Officer D'Angelo out of your house that night? What happened next? Well, what happened was that uh, I told him that he was nothing more than a 
He was a detective. He was nothing more than a patrolman. So unless you're here to write me a ticket, then I suggest you leave and leave right now. And he said, I am the police here. I said, no, you're not. You're just a cop. But I know the police. I said, if I have to, I'll call Henry uh, Fry. I said, I know Hank. I know him very well. And if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. I'll do it right now. Or we... I'll guarantee you that me and my wife will be down at the station first thing in the morning and answer any and all questions that you have. Yes. I said, this is, it's late in the evening and, uh, you know, I got my son here and already put him down to bed once and hey it's it's time to go i'll be there first thing in the morning and i uh i told him again i'll answer any and all questions both of us and he had backed himself up to the front door and opened the door uh, with, with his hand behind him and he said, I'll be seeing you then. And I said, said, well, fine, sure, okay, whatever. Yes. And then he went out, and I got to the door and locked it. Locked it quick. <laughs> yeah. And then right after, I was just in somewhat shock. You know, I go, what in the world? was that all about? Yeah. And that's what my uh, wife had said. She goes, yeah, what? What's up with him? Right. And I don't know. Something's not right here. Something is not right here. There's something, something different. He, he's, a, he's a weird duck. Sure. And my wife said, uh, yeah, he is. Right. Okay. They well, said, he, you know, he doesn't act right, Gary. Right. <laughs> you know, after kind of, you know, like, wow. Okay. Just couldn't get over the fact. I said, you know, this it, it isn't right. You know, 9 o'clock at night? Yeah. You, you don't investigate someone at 9 o'clock at night. It didn't feel right. And yeah, I mean, he had, to me, his timing was off. It was, sure. He was there for something else. He came in late so that nobody could see, you know, basically. Okay, that's very Because that time of year, um, you know, it got, it's dark early. Yes. And in fact, when I get off from work, it's already dark. But we do have a street lamp on the corner of the second house in. Okay. I want to I go back to uh, about how much time you think there was in between these two visits. The first time when, when you showed up at home and you phoned the police and, and Officer Matthews and D'Angelo respond. And the second night where uh, he is alone uh, wearing the suit. So, uh, you know, going back to that newspaper report, and I think this, that's what's very helpful here, is that we know that it was a Thursday night. We know that it was December 18th, 
And that gives us a really good way to uh, you know, put a frame of reference on everything because uh, it's right before Christmas. Uh, you've got right. uh, Christmas Eve uh, being the date that, that was, uh, this article was published. Uh, th- this return visit, uh, and to the best of your memory, does it feel like that return visit happened before Christmas or after Christmas? Christmas. Okay. Because it, I mean, it just, it just happened. Sure. And I was okay. shocked that they came, he came by All right. and uh, said that he was doing a follow-up. First because, thing I thought yeah. right off the bat was like, oh, maybe you found my stuff. That'd be cool because I haven't right. finished. I haven't turned it into the insurance yet. Okay. So the other thing then, I guess, would be uh, it's 9 o'clock at night. Do you remember if that was a day that you had already been to work or maybe not and that, therefore, it might have been a weekend? Yeah. No, it was in the middle of the week. Okay. It could have been any, 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 almost any day of the week. Sure. Uh, don't remember. Recall back, back I see. 45 years ago or so. Sure. Uh, after that happens, did anyone from Exeter Police Department contact you the next day to say, hey, come on in, we, we, we want your statement? Uh, did they contact you about your insurance claim? No. So you didn't hear I, anything? I didn't hear anything. didn't hear from Officer, Officer D'Angelo again or yeah. Matthews or anybody. Right. It was pretty much just over. So after that yeah. night then, the that night in the suit, when was the next time that you remember seeing Officer Joe D'Angelo? Uh, it was a short while later. He would uh, drive by and slow down in the officer's car. And I could recognize that it was uh, D'Angelo because of the street light. It's one of those big mercury street lamps, you yeah. know. But it was still far enough away that it didn't shine right on the subject or the person. Like they got a lot of diffused light, and it was D'Angelo, and he would slow real, drive real, real, real slow, just a, a crawl, and then just slowly speed up and keep going down Belmont. And uh, he did that uh, good four, five, maybe half a dozen times over a period of, uh, let's say, maybe a month. Or so. Yeah, about a month, maybe. Wow. Yeah. You're pretty certain uh, in, in your memory that uh, those uh, that the times when he's driving by, he's driving by slowly enough for you to be able to make out the face, and you clearly had reason to recognize it at that point, that you recognized First off, that A, this was Joe D'Angelo, and B, this was an Exeter police uh, patrol car. Yes, I was able to do that. Okay. Yeah. And that was, yeah. The street lamp was on the corner, and I was the second house in. Yes. Still a little diffused, but not so much as that, as slow as he was driving, uh, he had. He started driving real slow on the shoulder of the road where the sidewalk would have been. They didn't. They hadn't installed the sidewalks at that time. Yeah. 
his tires were rolling down there, and he was leaning towards the passenger door, looking out passenger door window. So he was leaning and looking, and the light from the street light, and yeah, I recognize him. And you know, no doubt in my mind. And uh, he was in a actual police uh, car, and I think one time he was in a. I can't really recall dark brown or dark blue. Interesting. Okay. All right. So this wasn't just one time when he's driving by uh, the house. Uh, this happened several different times. Yes. Okay. So the burglary happens on the 18th, and that visit uh, with him uh, wearing the suit, this is sometime uh, right before Christmas. And then shortly thereafter, uh, he is uh, making these drive-bys uh, on uh, on Belmont outside your house. Uh, right. Now, on any of those times where uh, he does the drive-by, he doesn't get out of the car. He doesn't say anything to you. Uh, you don't speak to him. Is, are all of those things true? That's true. Okay. He stayed in the car, and I mean he drove real slow and our master bedroom faces Belmont as well as our kitchen yeah. faces Belmont and then the garage is there and it faces Belmont he couldn't really see what he was looking at but obviously he was looking in through two windows okay would have been the kitchen window and the master bedroom. But uh, at that time, uh, we had curtains on there. Yes. You know, so, uh, and I don't recall if we had, you know, you know drapes like uh, yes. thick drapes. Because that blocks the sun out during the day during the summer. Yes. That heat that room up in a New York second, but we did have uh, uh, have the uh, drapes, the thick drapes open. Now, looking uh, at your house in relation to the city of Exeter, specifically being on Belmont, uh, Belmont is right at the city limits in, in that in that right. section right there. So it's not uh, it's not a busy street. So there there was some reason then that this caught your attention. Uh, of, of these drive-bys, uh, did did you were you able to hear the car? What 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 made you look out and, and be able to notice that? Uh, the first time, I just happened to be in the kitchen mm-hmm. and uh, getting a glass of water, some juice, whatever I was in there for, and uh, I just happened. see some headlights out there and I just so I just put that so I did and lo and behold there it is he actually the police department uh, and it was way down I mean it was a crawl yeah 
and then I looked. I walked forward and uh, was leaning over the sink, looking through the window. And uh, I looked and I said, that's D'Angelo, what in the world? And he just kept crawling along, leaning over towards the, uh, the uh, passenger window and just looking and staring at my house and then crept along and then sped up and he was gone. So these drive-by visits, uh, eventually, uh, so you you just said that perhaps it was uh, maybe uh, at least three, and maybe as many as six, half a dozen, I think were your words. So uh, uh, did did it continue into January, or uh, did oh, it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It continued in, and it finished up in the end of January, uh, first part of February. Wow. So he, was, it, it was, he didn't come by, you know, every two days. There'd be, uh, you know, a few days, you know, maybe even upwards as much as a week. Yes. That I noticed that I had seen. Yes. Now, he could have been, you know, he could have driven by, but we weren't home or or we didn't notice it. Sure. Because we're watching TV or doing whatever we were doing. Only those times where it, where it caught your attention. Correct. Did these drive-bys stop then at, at some point and, and didn't happen again? Uh, yeah, it took a... So they just stopped as mysteriously so, as they started? Yeah. Huh. Just all of a sudden didn't come by anymore. Okay. So and then uh, the next time... Uh, that I, I mean, I actually seen him, mm -hmm. you know, eye to eye contact. But he came into the park store, Lonnie's Auto Parts. Yeah. And I, it was, uh, I was waiting on the counter and uh, the co-owner was uh, on the phone doing business and taking care of whatever he was taking care of. So he, Joe came in, and I said, can I help you? And he acted like he, we'd never met. And he was real, uh, you know, soft, demeanored uh, attitude, you know, or, or self or sure. whatever he was. Your last encounter with him was was much less than pleasant. So this seemed. Uh, how did seemed how did weird. this? Yeah. How does it go from uh, me almost pushing the guy out the door, and, you know, and uh, him uh, telling me what's gonna? Uh, he's the he's the police, and he's yeah. You know, you do what I tell you, and all that crap, and me. Uh, being somewhat uh, stubborn and hard-headed, you know, kind of, um, it was somewhat insulting, but I was trying to get my point across to him that, hey, this isn't right, you know, now something's up here, right. get out, you know, 
and then he comes into the he does some drive-bys, and then all of a sudden he shows up in the parts store where I work at. Right. Did he, did he give you a reason? Yeah. Did he give you a reason why he was there? Yes, he said that he was uh, going to restore uh, a vintage uh, Chevrolet somewhere around the 1950s uh, Chevrolet, okay. a passenger car, and he wanted to know how much this would cost, and then this would cost, and some semi-long list, and... Was he, was he, did he appear to be actually interested in the things? Was he taking notes of, 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 of the prices? Was, was he pricing? Did it look like it was a legitimate, like, I'm actually interested in doing this? Well, I, it somewhat looked that way. Okay. I mean, for, he didn't write a whole lot of notes down. He said he was more interested in price, and I explained to him, uh, I had to explain to him two, three times, I can't give quote you a price right now. Those are specialty items. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to go through specialty warehouses that uh, have accumulated all these old parts, yeah. and uh, you have to pay at that particular time, that day's going rate. It's not a set price like... Uh, we stock uh, auto parts we stock there on the shelf I mean it's a right. price is given they're usually good for anywhere from six months to a year so you know you just look up at the price sheet and away you go it costs that much and bingo so when when yeah. Joe comes in to Lonnie's does does it feel to you like he's he's coming in deliberately on the time when he knows that you're going to be working is he coming there to talk to you that out myself, but I had never seen him in the parts store before. Yeah, let me ask it a different way. Did he come in just one time, or did he come in multiple times? He came in about three times. And on each of those occasions, each of those three times when he came in later, was he always talking to you? Uh, Yes. In fact, one time, uh, the co-owner of the store asked him, he said, can I help you? And he said, Joe D'Angelo said, no, uh, I've been uh, working with uh, Gary here. Interesting. And so, I mean, you know, in in that small town and whatnot, People deal with people, and if you're used to dealing with a certain person, and yeah, you, if you're behind the parts counter, you just let the guy go and let him talk to uh, uh, Jerry Dutch, the co-owner, because he knows him better than I do or has already been talking to him about uh, whatever subject they were. Yeah. He came in, it was three or four times, and it was always about his 50 Chevrolet. Huh. And how much for this? And how much for that? And I kept telling him, I said, I cannot quote you a price. It's when we order it, we will know the price because that is subject to change. They only guarantee that price for so many days. Yeah. Because if somebody else comes in and offers more, you don't get it. <laughs> right. 
Right. These are these are vintage parts. So yeah. uh, so how how did that how did the conversations go? I mean, obviously the the last time you had spoken to him that night in the suit, he was obviously very intimidating or tried to be, and yeah. uh, he was very commanding, very, very tried to be in charge. When he's at the auto parts store, it. How did that? How did those conversations go? Was it the same person? No, absolutely, entirely different person. Uh, I mean, I thought it was strange. He seemed kind of uh, uh, almost, for lack of a better term, uh, almost like uh, coward, uh, cowardish. You know, he just wasn't. Uh, he was asking questions politely. He wasn't telling me, hmm. you know, answer me, you know, none of that. He was entirely a different person. Yeah. To your memory, in, in wrapping that up, does it? Uh, do you remember him actually ordering anything? Did Did he not order anything? did not order anything. He didn't get nothing. And in fact, the uh, last time that he had uh, came, uh, came in the store, he st- it was all pre-hearsed routine. You know, his uh, still looking at restoring the Chevy of mine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wanted to figure out how much it's going to cost me. And, you know, I'm needing to know what the uh, the felt uh, spacer between the fenders there's a, on those models they had uh, a felt uh, uh, little spacer in yeah. there okay and uh, things of that nature and I said well as I told you before Joe I said until you order it I can't call them and get a price because it's subject to change without notice. I mean, I have to order it, and then we put a deposit on it. Yes. To get it here to you, and then you pay us, and then we pay them. I said, so it's, I said, you know, it's not, I just can't get a price. I can't grab it out of the air. And then the uh, uh, co-owner, Jerry, uh, he came over there and he said, uh, uh, excuse me, he says, uh, Jerry has some stuff in the back he has to do. So unless you're here to buy something, uh, we can't do anything for you. If you want to buy some parts for uh, that Chevrolet, then you bring some money in and put it down so we can get the ball rolling. Other than that, can't help you. Have a good day. So it was kind of a, he brushed him off is what he did. And did did Joe come back and uh, ever again after that? And, and Not after that, no. Wow, okay. Yeah, but like I said, he was a complete different person. Yeah. Uh, from the night. Uh, the visit at the home, and then uh, to come into the, the parts parts store. He yeah. was uh, very mild. Uh, I mean, his demeanor was uh, just the complete opposite. Sure. So, and 
I don't know what his thought or his idea was coming into the store. He never bought anything. Yeah. And from what I can recall, he never bought anything from our competitor either. Interesting. This is a small town, and you all knew each other, and and oh yeah, yeah, interesting. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, is important uh, about uh, your particular uh, description here of your encounter uh, is where this fits into the timeline. Uh, the encounter with McGowan. Uh, that's December tenth of nineteen seventy-five. So really. That is just about a week prior to this. And in that encounter with McGowan, the ransacker shot at Officer McGowan. As a matter of fact, he shot at his flashlight, and it shattered, and a piece of the flashlight came up and, and struck him in the eye. And McGowan falls to the ground, and, and the perpetrator gets away. Uh, he nearly lost his vision, uh, but uh, again, he did survive, and he was able to put out a, uh, a sketch, and he was able to put together a suspect uh, description uh, from, from the time that he's uh, recovering in the hospital, so he's, he's putting all of this together. That sketch appears in the Visalia Times Delta the same day as your burglary. It's published December 18th, and the Visalia Times Delta was a was an afternoon paper. I think that, that it was published around 2 o'clock. So it's always kind of stood out to us as to, uh, you know, was, was he following the case? Was, was there something – was there some reason why he did what he did uh, on, on, on these evenings? Let me ask you a question. Were you following that case at all, the, the case of Visalia Ransacker and Claude Snelling, and, and did, did you know much about it? Uh, no, not really. Yeah. I just heard a little something, and just I thought that was Visalia's problem. Sure. One of the other things, then, uh, that's really important about the timing of this is is uh, is the fact that here's this Exeter police officer, Joe D'Angelo, and he's driving up and down Belmont Avenue right around Christmas in 1975. Christmas Day... Uh, and and the day after Christmas are, are really important in the events that that we've been looking at uh, for investigating uh, the the crimes that have occurred in Tulare County, and one of those that was very notorious was was the homicide of Donna Jo Richmond, and she was actually last seen on the day after Christmas, December twenty sixth. And based on the police reports and the testimony of everything that happened, Don Joe Richmond was uh, with her friends writing, uh, doing some errands, and then goes up to see her boyfriend uh, up on the corner of Anderson and Marinette. So based on the reports, one of the things that is described is that she would have ridden up Belmont uh, on her bicycle with a friend pretty close to 3 o'clock. That afternoon, December 26th. And uh, so the last place where she was actually seen alive is up on the corner of Anderson and Marinette. Also, within that very same hour, uh, pretty close to 4 o'clock. So if you're trying to reflect back on on all of this, do you remember um, if, for instance, 
Did did anyone from uh, the sheriff's office ever come by and ask uh, anyone at your house if you had in fact seen uh, seen her that day? Uh, it, had she had she been? Did, did anyone ask you if she rode up Belmont or if she rode back down Belmont going home? No, no one uh, contacted me. Wow. As you know, your cousin, uh, who lived in Visalia, he had a similar burglary at his home that was attributed to the Visalia ransacker, and that was a year prior. That was right before Christmas in 1974. Uh, the two of you ever spoken uh, about that? Uh, no. Um, my, uh, my cousin kind of, uh, you know, keeps things to himself and uh, made the decision not to let anybody in the family know about Some of the current news reports, you know what Joe D'Angelo is charged with, including 13 homicides. Right. And you've probably heard some of the details of how he committed some of those sexual assaults. Uh, those were those were committed by separating the husband. When you right. when you're looking at back at this now, knowing these things that uh, that, that you've you've seen about these reports, all of that happened after uh, your encounter with him. When you think about that, you must have some pretty strong feelings uh, about what happened in in your house that night. Yes, because he was alone in my house the night of the burglary when I was outside in the garage talking to Matthews. Yes. Now, I had also heard that he would make the uh, husband lay down in the kitchen floor, the living, living room floor or whatever, and that he would put dishes on the on his back. Yes. So if he made a move, naturally the, a dish will slide off and make noise. And uh, I, that ran through my mind. And then I also thought, well, what was to keep him from 
somehow, uh, you know, killing me and then going right back uh, to the master bedroom and do whatever he does. Uh, that that bothered me. Yes, that really did. I mean, I I look at it as uh, boy, I dodged a bullet, literally. Yes, you did. Uh, I dodged a bullet that night uh, because putting all this together, he was there for a purpose, and it was not police work. He was more emphasized on splitting uh, me uh, me and my wife apart. He was more interested in that. And, I mean, we argued about that. And I kept telling him, it ain't going to happen, boy. <laughs> no. Yes. No, I absolutely will not let this happen. No. Well, your instincts were, were very accurate. And uh, there, there's good reason to believe that, that your instincts uh, perhaps saved your life or, or uh, saved uh, perhaps something uh, equally dreadful uh, from, from happening that night. And all of this, yeah, all of this has stirred up some, some strong uh, uh, emotions for you uh, and, and, and thinking back on all of this. Uh, you know, as, as painful as it is, I think that the one thing that uh, people uh, can take away from all of this is the importance of you coming forward and, and sharing uh, the details of this. Is there anything else that, that I didn't ask you about that, that you uh, want to wanna add? like to have emphasized more on when he was there, but it, uh, it was, I'd have to go back into a area that uh, I don't like to visit. Uh, I remember that our first contact that you and I had. Yes. And uh, I was explaining uh, to you that night and uh, we were chatting and the way you were asking the questions and his demeanor and what was said and it seemed to like pull me back to the time that it was happening yes and I, it was uh, the, the feeling I had after we finished talking You're, you're surviving. You're, 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 you're recollecting uh, the, the, the trauma, unfortunately, and, and going through it again, uh, in part because uh, you can say that it wasn't adequately processed at the time or, or uh, it, it felt weird and it felt unresolved, but it was clearly very troubling uh, and as, you, as you think back on it. Right, and on all, all this, this feeling I had afterwards, I mean, it was, I guess you can say that it proves my point that something wasn't right. Correct. Right from the beginning, something wasn't right. 
He wasn't there about that burglary. He used it as an introduction to get into the house to yes. discuss with us. More time was uh, was put on separating me and my wife. In fact, almost the whole entire event was separating uh, me and my wife. Her going to the master bedroom and me staying in the living room. And both so of you I, were, were, were pretty young at this at the time that this was happening, correct? We were both pretty... Uh, correct. I had just turned... I believe, let me see, that was 75. I had just turned 25, and my wife was a couple of years behind me. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, in her 20s, yeah. Never experienced anything like this. No. Yeah. And, and mercifully, you probably haven't experienced anything like it since, I would imagine. No, nothing uh, <laughs> even comes close. Yeah. I mean, the most I've experienced with the police department was being pulled over for a, a, a traffic violation. You know, I just, I mean, that was it. Yeah. And then something like that, I mean, that just... It's out of the norm. That just don't happen. That don't happen to me. No. I do have one question. Go ahead, please. Is that uh, had I adhered to his request the night of the of him coming by the interview, and uh, I stayed in the living room, and then. My wife went to the uh, master bedroom. I don't know how that would have played out. But I think we I know. I think to, we know one thing. I tend to think that it would not have come close to turning out like it did. That's something great. was on the right there. Something was going to happen, and I just wondered: was I the first one in the Exeter that uh, he had? Uh, they uh, tried this on? We've never heard anything like this before. And we've spoken with a lot of different victims' families. We've read uh, uh, hundreds of different police reports. We've never seen any description like this before. And, and I think this being so early in his um, career uh, as, as this offender... It is. Uh, it does feel a little bit different from some of the things that happened later on. You know, which brings to uh, another uh, one question I have is uh, uh, Schnelling. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, D'Angelo or the ransacker. Yes. Uh, he had taken Snelling's daughter into the backyard. Correct. I believe, and was trying to rape her or accosted her or something anyway. 
Well, let's and, put it this way. He wasn't taking her out for an evening walk. <laughs> there, okay. there was something very sinister uh, going on. Yes, I agree. Right. And, and then the father comes out. Yes. And uh, the, uh, the land shacker uh, shoots and kills him. Yes. Now, did they ever recover that gun? That gun because, was not recovered. Uh, he couldn't have used his, his uh, you know, police-issued uh, pistol, you know. Could he have maybe possibly thought about uh, uh, hiding that weapon in my place? Boy, you know, that's, that's something that, that actually... Um, had occurred I mean, it's to us. Far-fetched in some it's ways, it's far fetched in some ways, exactly. The sketch is published in the Vasilia Times Delta that evening where the burglary occurs. And I don't know about you, I've I've looked at the, 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 the sketch that was released in the newspaper I've looked at that sketch, and I've released looked at the sketch that they released about uh, in, in uh, maybe a month later in, in mid-January of '76. I have to say that there is some resemblance between an image of you and the image that appears in the sketch, and not completely dissimilar from Joe D'Angelo himself. I don't mean to insult right, you, well, but, well, but, both, but the truth is the truth. We're both of Italian descent. Exactly correct. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, it, it I is... I remember, right, he was about as tall as I was correct. at the time. And, I mean, it's... So, uh, really, the, the critical question comes down to, would... Let, let's assume that somehow it plays out like this, that... Officer Bill McGowan is called to make an identification. Is this the person that shot at you? And we know that, for instance, Jody Angelo has blue eyes. And that's contained yeah. in the in the suspect description. Right. Same height, same weight, same everything. Oh. What color are your eyes, Gary? Mine uh, are Okay, uh, it was more, more towards the green green to brown range. Right, more towards the green then. Yeah. There's no blue in it. But okay. You know, and, and it comes down to that. Would, would it have been believable that uh, Bill McGowan could have identified uh, you as the person who shot at him? Does does make your mind wonder? Indeed, we can't we can't answer that question because uh, unfortunately Bill uh, died a number of years back. But it does um, it does bring up that that idea that notion that one of the possible explanations for the visit that night was indeed to um, put you on the hook for. Uh, the facility ransacker for for the Snelling homicide for shooting at McGowan. Right. It's, I mean, it's a possibility when you look at it. It's yeah. Not all that far fetched or far out of reach. Right. Uh, 
because no one knows what was in his mind. Uh, what? Because what did he do with that gun? You know, yes. Never been. It has never been found. I guess. Correct. Let me ask you a different question because this is important too. It it occurred to us, you know, as we were thinking about the fact uh, of all of this, you know, the gun was the gun was taken from your home. Did you have any other guns in your home uh, at the time that that the musket was taken? No. Yeah. yeah. Try and figure out the man's intentions. Uh, it, it's going to take uh, some uh, real study by uh, psychiatrists and pathologists and so on and so forth to try and dig into that man's yeah. head. You know, because you just can't, the mind that he has, you just can't, you know, hold his head up to a candle and say, oh, yeah, okay, that's what's wrong with him. No, he is, he's deep intent. Yes, there's a lot that we don't know about him. We can all hope that somehow this this shines a light uh, so that we can make sure that uh, something like this doesn't ever happen again. Uh, that this right. has been this has been very devastating for a whole lot of people uh, similar to yourselves. Right. He sure did use his uh, wisdom of the knowledge. Yes. Of, of the law enforcement. Of yes. Law. Yes, his training and background that that played heavily to his advantage. Uh, right. to, he knows to what the district attorneys and everyone needs to be able to prosecute him. That's correct. And somehow, some way, he has covered a lot of that up. Yeah. Uh, or has hidden it. Uh, it's not over. No. It is not over. He's in prison. We have a name. We have a face. Uh, we, we know those parts. And uh, I think that the, the one thing that uh, I just, you know, I come back to in, in the case of your story, Gary, is that uh, you have you provided some real clarity here on on what happened, what he did, how he operated. And and once again, I can I can only say a million thank yous for for being willing to share this and, um, you know, have people understand uh, what what how he operated. that I can divulge to you that will keep this monster uh, on the inside. Yes. And uh, never see daylight again, so to speak. Uh, I I owe that to myself and to uh, all victims' families and everybody that's involved in any way, shape, or form yes. uh, on this on this investigation, it's, you know, it's my duty. I should do this. I need to do this. Well, it's the right thing to do. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. And I'll, t- I'll take this opportunity to to end and uh, note uh, that the current time is 4.35 p.m. And uh, once again, uh, thank you so much for your time, Gary, and uh, hope to chat with you again soon. Certainly. If you have any uh, questions you think of later, please feel free to call me. Will do. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Gary. Take good care. Okay. Goodbye. As we've discussed many times, we always believed that the VR responded to his press coverage, much like the EAR did when he started attacking couples after Sacramento sheriffs said they were safe. We saw a pattern of VR and Tulare cat burglar activity on the weekend after TCSO Wiley said that there was, quote, no reason to believe that Jennifer Armour had been murdered. And the night after TCSO announced that they had arrested the wrong person in a mass rape attempt. The same offender attacked the next-door neighbor of TCSO's public information officer. That led us to wonder exactly how the VR responded on the night that the McGowan composite and description first appeared in the Visalia Times Delta. Getting caught in McGowan's stakeout, being seen by him, and then being wanted for both the Snelling homicide and attempted murder of an officer had to be incredibly stressful. We imagined that the publication of the composite caused some direct action, and Gary's burglary has always topped our list. If Gary's burglary was committed by the VR, why would that be his first thought after seeing that evening's newspaper? Obviously, the gun caught our attention. The VR made a point of stealing only older or foreign firearms that had no serial numbers. It was also impossible to ignore the location of Gary's house on Belmont, right on Donna's route to and from Don Lee's house. When we were contacted about Gary's story, we expected confirmation of a VR burglary, but never imagined anything that directly involved D'Angelo. Although there is no proof, we do suspect that D'Angelo committed the original burglary, probably to search for and remove any firearms from the house. The other items were likely taken simply to make sure that the gun wasn't the only thing missing. The neighbor was able to confirm that the burglar was a single male, on foot, that exited across the alley into a vacant lot behind Gary's house. Additionally, the entry through the back garage door and then the door into the kitchen is classic VREAR entry, especially the chiseling around the striker plate. Sometimes he would even take the striker plates with him. It also appeared that Gary's house was targeted. There were plenty of easy houses with unlocked doors and more valuables than a young couple with a baby had. Also, there were no other similar burglaries in that area or time frame. It was a lot of effort in an unlikely location for not much gain. We don't want to post a photo of Gary, but as he noted, his general similarity to D'Angelo was striking. Similar age and height, Italian, dark hair, and light eyes. Since Gary's workplace backed onto Exeter PD station, it would be easy to understand how D'Angelo could have decided to target him as a believable VR suspect. It's impossible to hear Gary's story and not think about an EAR attack or ONS homicide only under color of law, using his badge. If Gary and his wife were going to be attacked, it would have been a double homicide. Would it have looked like a murder-suicide with a Snelling or McGowan gun placed next to Gary? Would the police have found VR loot in the house? We don't know, but clearly 
the fear of that night still weighs heavily on Gary, even after all these years. In some ways, none of this is a surprise to us. However, it does give us a clearer picture of D'Angelo's frame of mind and behavior in the week leading up to Donna's murder. It also places him driving slowly, back and forth on the shoulder of Belmont in the days leading up to Donna's kidnapping. 